Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Range of Capital podcast. This is a weekly 15-minute long podcast and our clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Range of Capital, and with me as always is my co-host and the founder of Range of Capital, Chris Demuth. It is Wednesday, December 30th, and this is our last podcast for 2015. So today we're going to start uh, by talking about how you can win your 2016 stock picking contest. Then we're going to talk a little bit about taking advantage of, uh, I'm going to call it the Christmas hangover. And finally, we're going to conclude by talking about Star Wars and its effect on Disney stock. So let's get started with the stock picking contest, Chris. Let me say you are in an office of 100 coworkers, mm-hmm. and they are going to have a play money stock picking contest mm-hmm. where each person picks one stock, and whosoever stock does the best uh, is declared the winner at the end of 2016. Uh, how would you maximize your chances of winning? Good question, Andrew. First of all, I love games. So the first thing I would do is play. Yep. Uh, I play any kind of game that has no or marginal uh, entry cost yeah, yeah. I participate in. And the people I know who are the best contest winners are incredible contest participators in. And if you just list the uh, highlight video, it sounds like there's some kind of prodigy genius, but they're usually just uh, uh, kind of perpetual participators. Yep. So play. Uh, if you have only one... Half entry, of showing up... Half of... Half of winning is just showing up in this case. Great. And if they limit one person to one uh, uh, to one entry, make sure you encourage all of the semi-affiliated people. Uh, we're looking at one right now. They said one per person. I'm thinking, well, our office manager can do one, and my wife and my kids, and uh, and so uh, so participate. Uh, number one, uh, and then number two, uh, pay uh, attention to the small print. Read the footnotes. Uh, I, I don't have any tattoos, but I think read the footnotes. <laughs> if I was going to do kind of a bicep tattoo, it would be one of my choices uh, because you can take advantage of the rules. How small a cap can you do warrants? Uh, can you do something that has some chance of winning? But interestingly enough, there historically has been no or almost no overlap between things that I would actually put my own money in the market at risk uh, when I have the downside and yep. it's mine. And what I do when there's no downside where out of 100 people, you're indifferent between place zero or one and 99, you're just trying to go all out for the 100th uh, or the best uh, chance. So that's exactly what I was trying to get at. I, I think you see a lot of these uh, contests where mm-hmm. people will go and they'll say, oh, the best stock for 2016 is going to be Apple or mm-hmm. it's going to be Google or it's going to be IBM. And the answer is they might be perfectly good investments. They might beat the S&P 500. They might not. We don't really have a view one way or the other. But there is almost a 0% chance. I would say there's a 0% chance that they are going to win a stock picking contest in 2016 with more than 10 or 20 people. In this case, you want to kind of do what we always avoid and just load up on risk. Go buy a penny warrant. Go buy a penny stock. Just throw something at a dartboard and pick the smallest, riskiest thing you can find. Because you need something that's going to perform exponentially to win. If you get last place, you should be proud that you had some possibility yep. of winning because you actually found enough volatility. If you're out of 100, if you're 50th, you should feel fairly convicted that you actually had a 0% chance yep. of winning. Um, uh, I was just thinking about my uh, kids. Um, they have won 
hundreds and hundreds of dollars of raffles in our local town. I mean, we win almost every raffle we go to because all of the local merchants at kid events uh, put in usually something worth about $100 yep. in raffles. And then, and then they have these jars. And so all the kids line up and put, you know, just stuffing all of these raffle tickets in the toy store, right? Yep. Uh, but in the back row, the sad, the dry cleaner, the nature food company, <laughs> uh, all the car wash, they all have been asked to cough up. So they have a raffle and nobody else ever puts in. And you look in and it's literally empty. And so my kids will buy a 25 cent raffle ticket and then I'll buy it from them at 75 cents in the dollar. So I, I guess uh, what we're saying is in these contests, you really want to practice game theory yes. and uh you know kind of maximize your chances of winning the only other thing i'll mention is that there's a famous story i believe it was about phil fisher and mm-hmm. uh you know, the s&p 500 was at 500 and he was at a big stock pickers contest and they asked for people to predict the close price the next day and everybody else you know picked 502 or 503 and he went and picked 525 mm-hmm. and beforehand if you asked he would have just said i just picked a crazy number so i'd maximize my chance of winning he won, and then he had an elegant explanation for why he won, so people would think he's a genius. So I would just recommend to anyone who kind of takes our advice and picks a penny warrant or something, if and when you do win, you know, have a really smart reason and play it up for your friends. Make them think you're a genius. Mm-hmm. Chris has no problems Absolutely. with that. Okay, so, so Chris, we've talked a little bit about the game theory, and I think that applies really well to our next topic. So Christmas hangover, Christmas deadweight loss. Why don't you talk a little bit about how someone can take advantage of it and what causes it? Well, first is on defense and avoidance. If you do studies of how much utility people uh, get from receiving gifts, uh, it on average in an industry, we're talking about billions of dollars being spent. Absolutely. uh, Is that, uh, that the the deadweight loss or the amount of inefficiency beneath the uh, efficient market price, the, the, the value you would put on buying... Uh, what you're given, um, uh, even after the endowment effect, even after it's yours, even after people enjoy having something that's theirs, is a massive discount. I mean, different so, studies have generally averaged between 10 and 25% discount. So it just it, Chris is a trained economist at heart. So it, if you spend $100 on a present, yeah. when you give it to someone, they only receive, let's call it $80 worth Th- of that value. That would be average, yep. you know, which, by the way, this works out to the different studies have seen overall is between 60 and $210 billion yep. a year in value destruction from Christmas. If uh, Santa came across the country instead of with reindeer and a sleigh on an AC-130 and was just mowing down kids, he could not create $210 billion of value destruction. (laughs) There's the image we want to end 2015 on. But, I mean, that's such a huge number. I, I think I was listening to something the other day that said, it, the Kyoto protocols for preventing global warming, they want to spend $180 billion a year or mm-hmm. something on it. So you're saying just in gift giving alone over Christmas, we're basically losing enough money that we could do the Kyoto protocols. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. Absolutely. And, and in that case, just for a quick little aside, I mean, what it really requires is that you fail to understand the discounting mechanism. Because yep. people say, well, let's spend some spectacular amount of money. Uh, because what if 500 years from now we have two more degrees and then you have kind of you always have a sad allegory sad allegories are very important and say well what if the uh what if the sea level rises around manhattan two feet and my thought is well how about a cinder block well you know what a cinder block wall would cost 500 years from now if we had to start saving up for it uh it would be less than the uh protocols uh 
<laughs> so that's a little bit different than where we're supposed to go. But so we've talked about the Christmas dead weight, but I think we've got a way to take advantage of it. So why mm-hmm. don't you talk a little bit about how you can take advantage of everyone else's loss? Well, my first choice, and uh, for marital reasons, this has been rejected in my own life, was just to switch the Very whole... similar to our Diamonds Are Bullshit <laughs> yes, podcast. Just, just, just shift your whole schedule. I yep. mean, my neighbors go skiing right after Christmas, and so if you could just move just by a few days, you could get the Christmas tree... Uh, hauled in off of their curb for free. Uh, you go around the clock this way, you know, Valentine's Day after Valentine's Day. Um, but that's not going to work. Yep. In most people's, uh, uh, try it. I, 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 if our listeners, uh, if one person out there succeeds, I, I will have done something good in my life. Um, but the, the less unrealistic view uh, is with gift cards, that if you shift after Christmas already, I've noticed the inventory has spiked, yep. the discount that you can buy them uh, gets to be huge. And of course, you can combine this with any other sale because it's like a currency uh, but in many cases a deeply discounted currency. So I think one thing is a lot of people they go to a Black Friday and ignoring the amount of time they waste at the mall they go to Black Friday and they say oh I got 50% off this this item or you know Black Monday I got 30% off this item and the fact is no you're not really getting a discount they're just telling you are to spur that demand but if you actually buy something you know think candy after the day after Halloween you can actually get huge discounts when you buy stuff kind of right after the season passes. So gift cards, it's very similar to our investment style. You want to buy when there's tons of supply and not much demand. You don't want to be buying when there's huge demand and not much supply. Gift cards after Christmas is a perfect example. Absolutely. If you're part of a huge wave of demand and somebody tells you, you're getting a sale, you should feel like a kid, somebody's patting you on the head. They're contriving an appearance for your sake. You have to think about which side of aggregate supply and aggregate demand you're on. And after Christmas is kind of the one little glimmer of hope for the consumer that you're getting an actual deal. I think the other places are uh, buying returns, uh, markdowns, all that sort of stuff after Christmas. Everybody returns their gifts. I think that's great. And then let's say you do need to give a present. I think there's one thing we both agree. There is one type of present that gift receivers actually value more than the cost. Uh, they are far and few between. Uh, the best categories uh, as gift givers are children. People do authentically <laughs> enjoy gifts from children, uh, handmade and homemade, uh, and activities. I mean, I always yes. think verb over noun. That people uh, that if you um, if you think about uh, the the spike of pleasure of a thing, getting more stuff exactly. quickly dissipates. Um, there's two activities that are actually the uh, most underappreciated forms of happiness and unhappiness happiness is tickets and trips yep unhappiness is long commutes you yep. know when you do a long commute you test it once and guess how miserable that'll make you and you don't quick correctly discount times two times five times four times 12 times however many years you're doing it as someone who travels an hour and a half each way to work with you every day chris that that <laughs> i wish you had told me that before i came well, this over this is here. so unstrategic for me to bring up <laughs> I, why do i mention this this is this is actually not to get off on a tangent that's only the second worst your commute reference that I've brought up uh, <laughs> for another time. Uh, but, um, but yeah, do people really care about activities and things you do? Yep. Um, so make something or do something. It's such a great point. You know, you go buy a, a 5 or $10 ticket to something and you take someone with it and that's a memory that they really value. Mm-hmm. I, I know it certainly works for me. And uh, any, any kind of m- mnemonic memory device too because it should be, people should know when they enter into activities, relationships, everything, that it's very natural to have a spike of utility and then it's natural 
for it to dissipate, but you can slow the pace of dissipation by having things to remind you of the things that make you the happiest. Okay, so let's go to our last question. So I want to talk a little bit about first order thinking, and I think Mm -hmm. this uh, thought is common in investing. So we talked a little bit about, oh my gosh, the Fed's rising rates, Kinder Morgan's going to cut their dividends, sell all the dividend stocks, particularly Kinder Morgan, a couple weeks ago. Uh, We've seen a lot recently, Star Wars is going to sell a ton of tickets. Uh, It's currently sold 1.3 billion tickets, probably on its way to become the highest grossing movie of all time. Disney owns Star Wars, so I should buy Disney stock. Uh, If you thought that at the beginning of December, well, I'll let you, what do you think about that logic? Uh, I uh, would say that in a parallel universe where there aren't other sentient, self-seeking, rational people who want to make money more than they want to lose it, it would be useful. Yes, yes, exactly. It's such first-order thinking. Something's good. Uh, Something's good. It's in the news. Everyone can see it. I'll buy it because that good thing's about to happen. It's similar. Everyone knows an Apple iPhone is going to come out September 15th, 2016 or something. Mm -hmm. So I should buy the Apple stock September 10th in anticipation of the event. No, everyone else knows it. It's already going to be into the price. If you look at the people who are the biggest encouragers of first order thinking, I would note how much of their compensation comes from activity and not by investment returns. So these are people who have to fill uh, print space, who have to fill airtime on TV, and more than anything, people who get brokerage commissions for your doing stuff. It's interesting. So a broker, uh, they love first order thinking because they're not able to think deeply about 10 stocks. Mm -hmm. They have to think shallowly about 200 stocks. And the way you do that is the first order thinking. Hey, why don't you buy Disney on December 1st because Star Wars is about to come out. And by the way, I'll make some money off the commission and then I'll make some money off the commission when we sell out of Disney. They don't really care about the return. So just so uh, listeners know, if you had bought Disney stock a month ago Mm -hmm. in anticipation of Star Wars coming out, you would have lost roughly 7% of your money and the mm-hmm. S&P 500 is flat over that time. Mm-hmm. So massive underperformance because you engage in that first order thinking. But let's take the reverse. How can you take advantage of first order thinking? Or we like to say if it's in the news, it's in the price. How can mm-hmm. you take advantage of something like that? Well, you can also take the other side. You can, uh, you know, I always think my job is to be a counter, not a soothsayer. So without predicting the future or even understanding specifically how these things will reconcile is to, uh, first of all, be very wary of obvious priced in kind of manias yep. most strong uh, reactions are overreactions but then when you look at something like disney in almost every different direction you can find a company with earnings cash flow and assets that are cheaper that have businesses that are analogous yep. in many cases uh if you mention any of them somebody would say Ugh, but there's something bad about it it's like well okay but uh, the market has very deeply discounted SeaWorld, S-E-A-S, uh, a Fox, F-O-X-A, F-O-X, uh, 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 Iconics, I-C-O-N, all companies that have uh, some difficult things going on with them right now. Uh, but you can put together a, a synthetic Disney outside of DIS at a tiny fraction of the cost. Yep, yep. You know, I think one of the best ones, and we weren't working together when you put this, but it was uh, Monster Energy Drink sold mm-hmm. two, sold energy drinks that, I, I don't know if they were responsible, but some children took it and had heart attacks and died, mm-hmm. which is obviously tragic. But the stock sold off, you know, 50% on the news. And 
no one wanted to touch it with a 10-foot pole. And it was one of those things. If it's in the news, it's in the price. Mm-hmm. Like this was a company that was trading very cheaply on those assets. And I don't think uh, – people just didn't want to touch it because there was something scary that everyone could see about it. But if you engage in some second-order thinking – You'd say, oh, like, was that the right sell-off? Are they really going to lose half of their drink sales because of this? One of the ways the New York Times has something to write about every day is that we live in a country with about 320 million people or so. And uh, I would just stipulate that in a country with 320 million people who rely on countless consumer products made by large uh, corporations, that the saddest thing that's happening to somebody is really sad. And I don't want to sound cavalier about that, but uh, the New York Times, especially uh, uh, Gretchen Morgenstern, they really should be called the anti-business section. (laughs) But what they do is they find somebody who is young, who is good looking and has had some terrible tragedy and then find some proximate company. So if you are a, uh, and teenagers are great for this because you have some like young, good looking teenager whose life was going great. And then he chugged 17 Red Bulls and he was doing a couple other things. He didn't like quite as well clarified to his parents and other companies. And then something bad happened. And then they tried to make a point about the company. It's always a tragic story, but they tried to paint the company in a terrible brush because it moves headlines. It's Mm -hmm. equivalent to the the newspapers Mm -hmm. in the 60s. So all I will say is uh, I think that's it for today. Uh, We're going to be back in 2016 with more podcasts. I think listeners get a good idea for kind of the second order thinking and going where people are panicking are where we try to invest. And we will be talking a lot more about stocks like that in 2016. I think that's fair to say. So uh, thanks for listening. Uh, If you like our podcast, please be sure to subscribe. We just got on Stitcher, or you can also follow us on iTunes or SoundCloud. If you already subscribe, please recommend it to a friend who you think would like it. Uh, Have a great new year, and we will talk to you then.